1: Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the Good Fight Radio Show. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Reverend Anthony Rogers. Now, he's done a ton of debates, not only with Shabir Ali, but Brandon Tatum, and we're going to get into that during this interview. But I'm just excited to have him because he's a great brother in Christ, and he really has a lot of good information out there. So welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, Anthony Rogers.
2: Hey, great to be on.
1: Well, you know what? I am excited to have you on because I, the first time I, I believe I, I heard of you was you sitting down on David Wood's channel. And I believe it was talking about the angel of the Lord, if I remember correctly. And that was an excellent video. I was like, man, who is this guy? He's really articulate. He's succinct in his, in his speaking. This is really good. And then I got to watch you debate Shabir Ali last year. And then now, you know, hearing a little more of your testimony, I would love for the people in our audience to really hear, you know, how you came to, to know the Lord.
2: Yeah, so I was born and raised here in Southern California. As I was getting into my teen years, gangs were surging throughout California. There was an influx of gangs down into Orange County, and I fell in with that. And and really, though, I should say, you know, I was just trouble from my birth. Uh, I just had a proclivity for just getting into trouble I got in trouble throughout my entire youth. Most of it then would have just been considered innocent trouble, but it was all moving in a direction. So when the gang stuff came along, it was just sort of the next thing uh, in, in that you know movement along that path. And when I got about seventeen, my parents decided we need to do something to stop this. And their assumption, since they aren't Christians or weren't, you know, uh, then my father since died, uh, but uh at the time you know they weren't believers and they thought that by changing my environment they could change my behavior typical unbelieving response but all they did was relocate where i was doing certain things the, and and i guess also they they sort of slowed it down a little bit cuz i needed to find a group of people like the group that i was hanging out with before but once i found that it fell in with them you know the book of proverbs talks about people you know falling in with those that are swift to shed blood and that sort of thing. And that was me. I was uh, quickly caught up with other gangs and, and was doing a bunch of stuff. So when I was 18, I eventually got arrested. I was incarcerated. And the one part about this story, and obviously there's, there's so much stuff in, in this uh, that I just have to pass over, but the one thing I always like to tell in this story is I was, in, I was put in a jail cell with a self-professed devil worshiper. And this guy had no expressed interest in the Bible at this time. But this guy was telling me stuff about the Bible. And I'm listening to him and I'm thinking, yeah, it doesn't sound right to me. I don't think you're telling me the truth or whatever. And he said, oh, I'll tell you how to get a Bible. And I said, okay. And he got a Bible and he tried to show me what he was talking about. And he couldn't. He couldn't find what he was claiming. And here I am. I got a bunch of time. And now I got a Bible. I didn't have a TV in the, in the cell there. And so I thought, well, might as well read this, and I started reading it, and it just terrified me to no end. I'm reading about a God who, you know, flooded the world and spared only eight souls, Uh, a God who would open up the ground, fire shoots out of his presence, uh, just because somebody brings, you know, unauthorized fire, Uh, just all these things, and I'm thinking, here's a God who's angry with the wicked, has all of heaven and earth at his disposal, uh, there's there's no limitations to what he can do, he knows all things, and I was caught and have been subject to certain penalties by earthly authorities, what makes me think I'm going to escape this God? And so even though I'm reading the Bible, uh, I didn't understand the gospel, I had read the Bible through twice during this period, and I'm just hearing this message of God's wrath and, and justice and my sin and all this, and couldn't for the life of me see all these statements about the grace of God that I now can't possibly pass over without rejoicing. But uh, So anyways, uh, it's because of a devil worshiper that I got a Bible and <laughs> became a believer. I had no interest before this, so God used a devil worshiper to, to get me to read the Bible. So I was converted. Uh, eventually, a minister of the gospel came out. He preached the gospel. I heard the gospel. I believed. and this was i went into jail back in 1993 got out in 1995 so i've been a christian now since 1995 never looked back the lord has graciously kept me i have no interest never had any interest after that in going back which is really odd because we not we know it's not odd we know why but i'm saying Amen. when i did wrong i did wrong because i wanted to and i i put it that way because some people will say, you know, if they stole, they'd say, well, they stole because they needed food. They stole for the... And I'm not just giving grounds to that as a justification. I'm just saying, in my case, I had no other reason for doing the things I did other than I just wanted to do wrong. And so that, you know, when I look back at it, I, just, I marvel that I have absolutely no desire to do those things. And the only reason I did them before was because I desired to, and there was nothing holding me back from that. You know, so... Hopefully that's adequate as No, well.
1: that's that's incredible. I mean, how many testimonies you hear that somebody, you know, comes to the Lord through a Satan worshipper. <laughs> but, but but I mean, it's amazing and one of the cool things is and I and I, you know, knowing a little bit of your background is that you directly went into I don't know about directly, but you then went into the same ministry cuz you were saved in the prison system and then now, I mean, you're a reverend as well and you're now involved in a ministry in prison, is that correct?
2: Yeah, so this too was providential. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of like there's certain things that, you know, the Lord is, well, anything I have is a gift from God, but there are certain areas where, you know, he decided he doesn't need any of that, you know? So I, I'm like really weak in all sorts of areas. Uh, I'm not, so as an example, I mean, somebody, somebody could say, Hey, here's this group of people, uh, you know, they might want to kill you or whatever. You need to go tell them the gospel and I'll go do it. I mean, I, I have no hesitation to do that. Somebody tell, telling me to do some administrative thing, you know, and I'm like, oh, we better get somebody else for that. You know, that's, I just, I fall, you know, I just, you know, I, there's just some things I can't do and it's just never going to happen. And so I bring that up because um, when I saw, I was converted through the ministry of this, this man that came out to the prison. I told you I was reading the Bible and didn't get a, a you know, any notion of the gospel even though it's right there on the pages, uh, but he he preached the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He preached the gospel, what God called the church to do, and I heard and believed. And I just because I saw what he was doing, that's my conception of what prison ministry was to look like. So this man was in his 70s when he came out there. He was a retired sergeant major. He had been a sergeant major in the military, He was retired from being an educator. He taught in the public school systems for decades. So he had an income from those things. And his children were grown. He didn't have a responsibility to young children. And so I'm just thinking, I need to get to this point where I'm drawing income from previous jobs that I've worked for decades. I don't have young children that I'm, uh, you know, because I have to be able to support my family. I have to have an income, obviously, prisoners can't support what I'm doing. So I just thought of this as I need to get to be 70 years old and you know my kids need to be grown and I need to have a separate source of income. And that's just how I thought. So when I went finally to seminary, I'm thinking the whole time when I graduate, I'm going to have to do something until I get to be 70 or something and become a prison minister. And so I was looking at doing it this way, and I won't get into all the details. Things happened that derailed those efforts. I was trying to—I was initially going to try to go to Uganda or Italy. My my ancestors come from Italy, so I was really excited about that prospect. And Uganda—the reason I was going to go there is because there were Muslims to the north, Christians to the south. So if I was situated right in the center there, I could be of benefit to both sides. So that, that's what I was looking at, but the brief version is my youngest daughter got sick. She has a protracted illness. We realized we couldn't get her care over there. And so we had to stay here. And so then I was in my last year of seminary. and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I was sitting down with my pastor at the time, the guy I was interning under. And I said, you know, I said, I wish I was just 70 years old and I could go into the prisons because that's what I want to do. And he said, looked at me with a face and he's like, why are you waiting till you're 70? And I said, well, that's because that's what I saw. You know, that's what he did. That's what I want to do. And he, He's like, you could do that right now. And he, so here's the, again, God's providential hand. He said, I know a guy that does prison ministry. He goes, I'm going to call him and ask him what, you know, is involved and so forth. He called this guy. This guy was the national director of of prison ministries throughout uh, the United States, of this ministry. Metanoia is what it's called. Metanoia is the Greek word for repentance. He said, so he called this guy within 15 minutes of our meeting. And he said, hey, I got this guy here. He has this interest in prison ministry. And this guy that he called got up. He said to him, he goes, you're not going to believe this. He said, I was just literally getting up off my knees. I was praying for God to send us somebody from South Carolina to be our regional director. And I already had plans not only to be in the city where where our church was, but to be at your church in the evening. Because we have morning and evening worship. He was going to go somewhere in the morning. Somewhere in the evening. So he was coming down to look for a regional director. He had just got up from prayer for that when when my pastor friend called. So here I am this whole time thinking this is what I want to do, but I can't do that because, well, I saw somebody who was 70 70 years old do it. And this whole time I'm planning to do something else until I get to be this age. The Lord takes that out from underneath me, and suddenly I find out that this was all in the works you know before it ever became apparent to me. So.
1: No, that's incredible. It's so it's so interesting. And I know I'm interviewing you but it's so funny because you brought up Italy and Uganda. I actually asked my wife to marry me in Uganda. Um and I thought that Italy was going to be the place that we were going to do ministry and I was going to learn Italian. I had to, I had this whole plan because when we went to Italy we shared the gospel um, specifically with uh, Pastor Joe Schimmel, who's uh, the president of Good Fight Ministries, and he, we were sharing with our waiter, it's something we always do, we typically try to do that anyways, always share with our waiter or waitress the gospel, and I'll never forget his words, and I'm like, we're like two rock throws away from the Vatican, right? Not that, you know, you know Rome offers much, but the fact is we're two rock throws from the Vatican. This guy lives in Italy, works in Italy, he's a Romanian, And after we share the gospel with him, he tells us these words, and they bless me and haunt me forever for wanting to share the gospel more. And it was, I've been waiting for someone to tell me this. And I'll never forget those words. We gave him a Bible. There's a, a great story behind it. But that was literally what made me want to do ministry. I was like, I need to be out here more sharing the gospel and seeing that hand. So it was just interesting. You brought up Italy and then, you know, obviously God's providence. And all of that, and it's so it's so amazing because you know specifically speaking of Providence as well, it's interesting, and I'm I'm kind of making a a segue here because I thought one of the coolest things, and I had already been following what you had been doing, uh, as I said, with you know I saw you with David Wood, I came here saw you debate, but then you had this instance with Brandon Tatum, who's a really popular conservative talking head, ex-cop guy. And, but the fact is, is that theologically he's, you know, out in the oneness camp and you happen to actually debate him on Instagram, which was just the craziest thing. So I want you to kind of play out that scenario. Cause I had someone literally uh, a brother named Travis text me. He's like, have you, do you see what's going on on Brandon Tatum's page? Anthony's uh, debating him. And I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on. Let me, let me check this out. And I was like, Oh, this is fantastic. But I'd love for you to explain a little bit what happened and what the debate was.
2: Yeah. So all these things are providential. Um, (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm I'm grateful for for all those sorts of things. Um, But in this case, so I have numerous jobs. I was working an evening job. I worked for a theological ministry. I basically field questions that come into the (laughs) ministry. And this was something I was doing while in seminary. And I continue to do. Uh, even now, you know, I work for them in a little bit of a different capacity. But at the time I was working and just prior to this, my friend John McRae had done a video responding to. So I guess what happened for Brandon Tatum and I'm not an overly political guy, like I do believe that uh, there's stuff for Christians to do and all that. It's just in in my mind, I'm thinking, here's how I've been gifted uh, people need the gospel and all these other important things are irrelevant in the grand scheme of things if they don't know Christ. Amen. And this is what I know. And this is how I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to use those skills. And that's what I focus on. So I didn't even know who Brandon Tatum was until my friend did this thing on him. Apparently for Brandon, he was a political commentator and he was really behind, uh, you know, I guess, uh, Trump and other things. And when uh, Trump wasn't, you know, when when all that happened you know, I think it was like, what do I do now for him? And he decided, well, now I'm going to start making some theological comments. And, and everybody that was following him assumed because he was conservative that he was Christian. And so this was like a bombshell for a lot of people. It meant nothing to me because I didn't even know about this whole world. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, love my Bible, reading my Bible, telling people about the Bible. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't know if, uh, you know, America, no, I'm overdoing it a bit. I'm just saying I just didn't pay attention to a lot of things. And so John told me about him and he said, I'd love to be able to get you to talk with him if I could arrange it. I said, yeah, I'm willing to do that. And one day I was working and John calls me up and he said, you know, Brandon's on Instagram and he's challenging people to come on with him live. And I said, well, I'm working and I don't even have Instagram. I, I, I just don't have an Instagram account. And he says, oh, he goes, you got to go on. You got to go on. I said, well, I said, I, I said, even if I wanted to, I don't have an account and I and I I'm working. So what I did, though, is I was so I was working and I turned on Instagram. I, you know, it allowed me to watch what was happening. And I was listening to Christians talk to him. And it wasn't that I didn't hear everybody, but it wasn't that they didn't have good things to say. It was that he was able to sort of ride roughshod over what they were saying by and I don't think he was trying to be duplicitous or anything, but I do think that he was speaking beyond his level of competence. So he had heard somebody say X, Y, or Z about the Greek or something like that, and he was parroting it. And I'm hearing this thinking, so so a Christian, let's say, you know, he's challenging the deity of Christ. A Christian comes on and says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Quotation of John 1, you know, exact translation, there's no real grounds for dispute there. And so the Christian has the right response to him, but then he turns around and says, Oh, but the Greek, you know, and scholars, and and I'm thinking, Oh, this, you know, this is killing me, you know, listening to this. And then there were other people that weren't giving great responses. And I just it was it reminded me of Paul in Athens where it says that he walked around, and he's observing their objects of worship. Yeah. And it says his spirit was yeah. provoked within him. Yeah. So I'm hearing this and I'm just being provoked, and I'm thinking, I was almost to the point where I was thinking, even if you know, I, I wouldn't get fired, the kind of job that I have I wouldn't have gotten fired, but I was, I was thinking at the time, even if I'm working, I'm not, I can't possibly let this go on. And I'm almost willing to just, you know, uh, quit just to engage him, you know, just so I can talk to him. So what I did was I signed up for Instagram on the spot. And then I was wondering how, what are the chances he's even going to bring me on? Cause he doesn't know who I am. And I just kept repeating the message. I just kept saying, bring me on, let's talk, bring me on, let's talk, bring me on, let's talk. And finally he did. And we ended up talking for an hour. And I know some people thought that I was I was, talking too much over him sometimes. And uh, I would say a couple things to that because I would encourage people to watch it. One is this was his Instagram live. I'm thinking, what are the chances he's going to bring me on? And if he brings me on, what are the chances he's going to let me stay on for more than two or three minutes yeah. once he finds out that I might have an answer to these things? And he instead kept me on for like an hour, and I gained a great deal of respect for him because he was willing to to you know talk with me, and he wasn't a whiner. It was one thing I loved. He was not a whiner. That's we a were point. able to tango and talk about these issues, and he didn't you know cry foul once. You know, it was just a good back and forth. And
1: yeah, and I thought I thought it was it was really awesome because. One of the things is you had the scholarship down, too, and I think that when he was bringing out a lot of the, you know, there's only one guy, really, that debates oneness very much from that camp a lot of times. I mean, you've debated a, a number of the other guys, but also, uh, is it uh, David Barnard? Uh, Bernard. Bernard, yeah, so, David Bernard. But yeah. He's
2: actually quoting people all over the map. Unitarians who aren't modalists, yeah. like uh, Anthony Buzzard, and... Also quoting JW arguments and then quoting David Bernard, a oneness guy. And I'm thinking, where in the world is he even at theologically? It was kind of confusing as far as like all these guys represent different views. Anthony Buzzard, David yeah. Bernard, and, and of course the Watchtower. So, uh,
1: yeah. No, I thought it was, it was interesting too, you know, because it was patented arguments, as you said, that you may hear, but it was from different camps, like you said. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, you hear the plurality of majesty argument, you know, from Genesis 1. And I, I'm just like, this is the same thing. And you were calling him to the carpet on that. And you're like, hey, this is no Hebrew grammarian uh, agrees with what you're saying here. And he's like, well, you're not a Hebrew grammarian. And you go back... Yeah, but I'm quoting the Hebrew grammarians. Yeah, there's some yeah. things I would say there. Yeah. I mean, number one, I've had
2: years of Hebrew. Yeah. But if somebody says, you know, it's they might be using terms differently than I might, like when he talks about grammarian or expert or something like that, I use the words in, in a technical sense. You know, if I say I'm not a Hebrew expert, I mean, I'm not an English expert, but you can be sure I know English, right? I've spoken <laughs> English my whole life. I know English. I know what words mean in English. I know how to put together a sentence. I have, I think, a good grasp of English vocabulary. So, yeah, you could say I'm not an expert in English. I, you know, I didn't get degrees in English. I'm not going to be teaching English at a university, but I sure know English. And I do know, I do know Hebrew and Greek, you know, but I couldn't say I'm an expert, you know, but uh, I do know the, gr- the grammarians, though, and, you know, I could easily, I could quote them off the top of my head. I mean, it's just this is just so obviously false. You know, you yeah. check out Gesenius, who's the father of all Hebrew lexicons. Uh, Taylor Lewis, who was a classical biblical scholar. Gerhard Hazel teaches Hebrew. I mean, just uh, on down the list. The, the, and besides that, you don't even need to, to appeal to scholars the, the, with respect to that issue. Um, you know, there's no example of a verb being used as a plural of majesty in the entirety of the Old Testament. The the phrase, let us make, that's one word in Hebrew, and it's a verb, and it's plural. The the subject's embedded in the verb, and it's just never a plural of majesty. It's In, in Genesis 11, the people say, let us make a name for ourselves, you know, and then they say, let us build, in verse seven, let's build a tower. Uh, you know, is it, is that a plural of majesty? Is it one guy saying, I'm going to build a tower up to the heavens? <laughs> or is that really a group of people? You know, I mean, it's, so, yeah.
1: No, no, I thought that was really good. And, and pointing that out to him, you know, and you did the same thing also in John 1, 1 as well, uh, when he's using very similar arguments that you hear on the street and so forth. But, you know, I, and I, and I think this, this brings you back to, to another point. And, the fact is that a lot of apologists, you know, I've seen these, these terrible arguments as a horrible starting point um, from really well-known apologists who, you know, they look at the Trinity, for example, and they just say, oh, that that's a New Testament. That's that progressive revelation in the New Testament where you see it. There's no Trinity in the Old Testament. And I'm like, man, I've been taught by my pastor there's a Trinity in the Old Testament. In fact, I've been looking at it and then I've been seeing a lot of your work specifically on the Trinity in the Old Testament. And I, I, I guess I could put this out there, too. It was really interesting what you did with Shabir Ali last year regarding uh, the Trinity. Because you started, most people, where are you going to start in the Trinity? Let's go you know, into the New Covenant and, and look at what the New Testament documents say. But you started it elsewhere. And I, and, and I know that.
2: I uh, tried to make it the emphasis, too. Be, uh i had no question that we could easily go to the new testament if he wanted to go there he'd be jumping out of the frying pan into the fire so i wanted to put most of the weight on the old knowing that number of things but first let me say this so i i've already said that i was converted in a prison context also in that context i was surrounded by people that were hostile to the christian faith and of course to the trinity so there were Muslims, nation of Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, every group under the sun was there and I mostly just had a Bible. I did have you know occasionally I would get a book from the outside somebody would give me a book and but it was mostly just me and my Bible and Christian fellowship and stuff like that but uh, I would read the Bible and these things you know things would just leap out at me. And so I'm talking to these people and maybe some of it had to do with just being in the, you know, cauldron, you know, or I'm, you know in the midst of, you know, this uh, attacks, uh, these attacks on the faith. And, you know, so maybe in this, it'd be like, you know, people say things like God gives us the grace that we need in this situation, that situation. I don't, I don't necessarily need uh, uh, the grace of enduring martyrdom unless I'm being martyred, you know, uh, or, you know, something like that. You hear people use that kind of language. Well, maybe it was something like this. I'm in a context where people are attacking the Trinity, so these things are standing out to me more. Mm-hmm. But they were, and so when I when I eventually started hearing Christians say things like the Trinity is not in the Old Testament, I thought, "What in the world?" I said, I have, "This is just so crazy to me because I I see it all over the place." And then I was happy, to, you know. I, all I need is the Bible to to you know convince me of it. It's His Word. But you, you're always gratified when you find that other believers were there too, right? They're on the same page. And so when I start reading other Christians from the past, I see that this is just standard fare. Christians from the beginning thought that this was, in fact, uh, one thing that was interesting to me when I started reading the early church fathers is, you know, they would sometimes interpret things differently on on certain issues. Uh, they had a basic doctrinal core that was the same, but they would interpret passages differently. <laughs> But when you come to a passage like Genesis one twenty six, everybody, you know, that's a reference to the Trinity. It was like there was no dissent. I could give you, I could pull up an article I wrote uh, years ago on Genesis one twenty six, where I have uh, twenty different church, early church sources on Genesis one twenty six. There's not a single interpretation of that verse that's other than a trinitarian interpretation. So it's just remarkable, and I'm thinking, where did we get this notion? It's not in the Old Testament. And that's only one verse. But, uh, so, but, but the thing is, I, I noticed, I, I also had, I would, I would run into, oops, I'd run into Jewish people, and they would often say, well, they can't believe in the New Testament because it teaches a different view of God. And so I would think, of, okay, so this is important for this context, too. they a stumbling block to their faith in Christ is this notion that we're introducing a different view of God or a different God. But I already know that's not the case. And so what we need to talk about is how the Old Testament does teach this. I would run into Unitarians who would say, well, the Old Testament is Unitarian, so we should read New Testament statements in light of Old Testament Unitarianism. And I would say, you're beginning in a fundamentally wrong-headed way. And so I knew Shabir's approach. This is why I took the approach that I did with him. He's not alone here, but the fallback is anytime the New Testament seems to say something clearly about Christ's deity, is to say, well, the Jews didn't believe in, in more than one God. And, uh, you know, so how would the early Christians have interpreted this? Jesus quoted the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he's affirming what Jews believed about God. So this verse can't mean that Jesus is God, this other verse over here. And so I just realized with Shabir, I need to take that argument away from him. So if we do look at the New Testament, it can't be done in the light of this assumed. Old Testament Unitarian background. And yeah, I would encourage people to go listen to the debate because yeah. I don't want to leave the impression that Genesis one twenty six is the be all and all. There's so much in the Old <laughs> Testament that that's just, you know, we're, we're just picking an example here.
1: No, I think it's, it's great because, I, as, as I said, it, it, was, it was refreshing for me uh, sitting here and like I said, it was the first time I've seen you publicly and um, I'm, I'm watching and I'm like, man, there's just so much scripture here. You know, because a lot of times uh, debates can so deviate from that, and it's like, man, we're really, you know, putting our sword back in the, you know, in its holster here and and not using it. Where this is, you know, what we should be battling with. And I just saw it over and over again. And you did, you did a video uh, specifically on on the angel of the Lord in in the Old Testament and what your view is on the angel of the Lord. And I thought that was incredible. I had a few guys that I disciple send it to me. Hey, have you seen this? And maybe not, I don't want you to do a whole synopsis, but a little bit of a synopsis on what your views of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament.
2: Yeah, so the first thing I would say is in Hebrew and Greek, the term that we translate as angel, now we use that term almost exclusively to refer to heavenly creatures that do God's bidding. You know, those who are ministers of those who are going to inherit salvation. That's how we use the term, but it's a mistake to think that word was limited to that in the scriptures. And so I'll just work backwards, just think for example of uh, in Mark chapter one, verses one through three, you have this, uh, you know, Mark says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And then he goes, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I'll send my messenger ahead of you. It's talking about John the Baptist being sent ahead of Jesus and preparing the way, but he's called my messenger. That word in Greek is angelos. And so it just comes out in English as angel. Obviously, John the Baptist is not a heavenly creature. He's not one of the cherubim, the seraphim, or any other order of angelic being. Uh, He's just a human being. And what's interesting, when you go back to that text in Malachi, it actually makes it uses the term messenger more than once, and it's referring to two different figures. So it says, behold, I'll send my messenger ahead of me, uh, and, and he'll prepare my way. the voice, uh, And then it, well, then it goes on and says, and then uh, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. So a messenger is going to prepare the way for another messenger, this one called the Lord and the messenger of the covenant who's coming to his temple. In both cases, it's the word angel. Uh, in Hebrew, melach. In, in, so in Greek, it's angelos, in, in Hebrew, it's melach. Now think further here now because this is uh, this is found in the prophet Malachi. Malach Malachi. The word means my messenger so the prophet's own name is has the name angel in it and clearly he's a he's a prophet he's not an angel. And it, so you have this it, just in Malachi the the prophet Malachi the, the the really it's Malachi in Hebrew the e on the end indicates my the possessive pronoun so my messenger. He's prophesying about two messengers, one of whom will prepare the way for the other. We know that one's John the Baptist, but the other, according to Malachi, is the Lord. So it's being used for God. But so th- that's the first thing I want to point out with respect to the angel of the Lord, is just that the term, because this throws people off. Uh, if you say that the angel of the Lord in particular is God, sounds like you're saying God is an angel. No, it just, uh, it just means messenger. So the quick version of this is this. Uh, Every time you see the full phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's always talking about a divine theophany. In Genesis 16, 7, the the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar. He doesn't tell her who he is when he appears. He just starts talking to her. He says, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she tells him. And then he says, return to your mistress, submit to her authority. Uh, And then he says, you have a child in your womb. You're to name him Ishmael. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. He'll live in opposition to all his brothers. You know, he's telling she, He's telling her she has a child. It's a boy. You're going to name him this. He assumes all sorts of authority. And then he says this. He says, I'll greatly multiply, you know, his descendants. Makes a promise that only God could make. Remember, he hasn't told her who he is. But she infers from this, oh, this must be God. Who else could make this claim? And then it says in verse 14 or 13, it says, She gave this name to the Lord and the word there is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. She gave this name to Yahweh who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. So she concludes that this is God. And I had, you know, Jews I interacted with before would say things like, oh, Hagar was mistaken. She got overwhelmed by this encounter and she said it was God. But if you read the text closely, it's not merely Hagar who says this. And this is an encouragement, I think, to people to, to, I always try and you know, I encourage people to read the Bible closely. It's God's word. There's so much more there than we give it credit for. But the, the phrase is, she gave this name to Yahweh who spoke to her. That's the narrator speaking. That's Moses, Moses yeah. right? Moses is saying, she gave this name to Jehovah, or Yahweh, who spoke to her. Then he quotes Hagar. You are the God who sees me. So he's already called this one Yahweh, and she's calling him God. So now it's the divine text the author uh inspired author who's saying this that's the first instance first mention of the angel of the lord in the old testament it's the same person who continually appears to the patriarchs he appears to abraham in genesis 22 and it says he raises his hand to heaven and says i you know swear by myself says the lord right the author of hebrews picks up on that and says because there's none greater by whom god can swear he swore by himself that was the angel of the lord in in genesis 22 he's the one who wrestled with jacob in 28 Appeared to him in Bethel in 32. Uh, Jacob uh, calls him the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, in Genesis 48. He blesses his children in the name of the angel. He calls the angel of the Lord his redeemer, in Genesis 48. First occurrence of the word redeemer is in reference to the Thank angel. Lord. Lord. So we can go on and on with that. I love it. It's, it's, it's remarkable.
1: I think it's my. I, I think it's it's so good for people's minds to be renewed in that and it's having a proper hermeneutic, as you already mentioned, not going from a Unitarian understanding when that wasn't the understanding anyways. And reading back, especially for a lot of people that are new not even new believers, but just believers, they've read the New Testament, and then going back and then seeing this. I love Genesis 32. It was one of the first things I ever read in the Bible because I'm a wrestler. (laughs) So I typed in the word wrestling, and I'm like, man... You know, the Bible says in Genesis er, in Ephesians 5 to imitate God. It says in Genesis 32, God is a wrestler. So you know what? Uh, that's fine. I guess I'll just follow the Lord in that. But, but you know, it, it is it is awesome. And I know I've brought up a couple of your debates that you've done because I do want people, and, and we'll put some links in the description here. Uh, I do want people to see those debates. I think they're excellent. The Shabir Ali debate and also the Brandon Tatum one. I know you have a video that you kind of explain some of the, the technical difficulties and stuff in the video. Uh, so they'll, they they can get that. and You guys can click on the link there. But also, you guys have been traveling. You and David Wood. I've been seeing you guys have been traveling down to San Diego. Uh, John McRae. What do you Meme is his page? He's got a really popular page, and you had mentioned him earlier uh, in regards to because it was Marcus Rogers and Brandon Tate, and both those guys got some uh, weird beliefs regarding the uh, the Trinity and so forth. But um, you know, you went down to San Diego with David Wood. And you guys were debating, and you were bringing something up. It's a little technical, but I think it's a, people can understand it, uh, especially if you go through it a little bit here, with, um, with, with Sheikh Uthman down there, uh, very dishonest person, in all honesty, watching it. Mm-hmm. Oh, who are you guys? I don't know who you are, you know, yeah. and so forth. And, and seeing that, watching that, very frustrating. But then you bring out uh, to him the fact that the Quran actually becomes a, a pale man, and, and why is that a good argument to bring up to a Muslim? Maybe people were like, hey, how could I use that to share the gospel with a Muslim? But I listened, and I think you had him stumped pretty good on that. So There were a number
2: of things that you stumped on, and I don't think he even really got it. And I don't think that some of his followers got it. And I just thought, you know, it's interesting to me because it's almost like they want to be real philosophical when they try and attack the Trinity. But as soon as you start doing the same sort of thing with respect to their view... It's like they don't really have the ability to think through some of these issues. It's they know how to parrot certain things as far as it goes against Christianity. And I had actually taken philosophy. Uh, you know, I I don't think that uh, you know the way to know about God is through the autonomous speculative approach of philosophy. I'm just saying that you know, in, in terms of thinking about issues and, yeah. and evaluating things, uh, I knew that they have a problem on their hands that they don't realize that so they say Allah oh, is absolutely one. When you say that God is triune, you're violating that fundamental necessary truth that God is absolutely one. And I'm thinking, well, if God is absolutely one, then he can't have a plurality of attributes. Otherwise it's not absolutely one. If you say, well, he can have a plurality of attributes, but he can't be a plurality of persons. I'm going to say, well, that's just arbitrary. Why? Who says, who says to be one, you have to have, uh, you, know, you, you can have a multiplicity of attributes but not exist a plurality of persons. You know, where'd that rule come from? Who gave you that? You know anyways, so I brought some of those issues. but the other thing that is uh, that, that Muslims bring up is this idea that God can't become incarnate, uh, He can't enter into his creation, this sort of thing. And when I brought up the Quran in this context, it was only one of numerous examples I could have given he was being a little bit difficult trying to get the point, you know, like it it mattered, some of the stuff that he was bringing up in response to this. It really didn't. But so in Islam, they believe that the Quran is Allah's speech. And since it's Allah's speech, it has to be eternal. So if the Quran is eternal, the next question is, is the Quran Allah? No, they have to say no to that. So now you've got this second independently or, you know, this thing existing That's other than Allah and Allah according to Muslims can't become incarnate because in the context of our discussion, me and Uthman, he was complaining about the incarnation, Jesus becoming incarnate dwelling among us, being born of a woman that sort of thing. And so I'm thinking, well, the Quran is present with us and it's supposedly eternal and it doesn't violate monotheism on your view. So how's all this hold together? Moreover in the Hadith sources, it tells us that the Quran on the day of judgment is going to appear as a pale man and intercede for Muslims. So not only is the Quran eternal now, somehow it's going to take on personhood, you know, and and, and maybe it had personhood all along. and It's just taking on a, a visible form, you know, because there are other indications that the Quran is treated as a living thing and all this other stuff. And he wanted to spend more time talking about whether I was right to say that it because, you know, there are different Hadith collections. Yeah. And my best recollection was that it was in Tirmidhi, I thought. And apparently it's in Ibn Majah. And I I just, uh, you know, had forgotten which, you know, one it's in, but that's irrelevant to the issue. If it's, if, you know, the the whole point is it's found in the Islamic sources and there are certain Muslims that say it's, it's strong. Others say it's weak and, and, you know, there's, there's debate there, but, you know, there's still this fact that the Quran is eternal. They do believe the Quran will intercede for them. And there are some uh, Muslims who accept on the basis of a disputed Hadith that he'll, it'll appear in the, in the form of a pale man. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's problematic. It's a huge problem. I mean, what do you, you know, what kind of a religion is this that, you know, it reminded me, you know, when I grew up, even though I wasn't a Christian until the, what I mentioned earlier when I was converted. The one thing I remember as a Christian was there was this music thing that I had. Somebody gave it to me as a kid, and it was by Maranatha Music, and it had this figure in it called Salty the Singing Songbook. And I just remember, you know, that Salty would go around with the kids, and he would sing songs about different Bible things. And uh, this was all pretend, you know. But in the world of Islam, apparently, this is, you know, this is uh, Allah's religion.
1: Well, in... You know, funny enough, they do get pretty salty anyways a lot of times when you bring these things up. And, you know, I want to thank uh, Anthony Rogers just for sitting down with us. I know we've been trying to kind of do this for a little while, so it's been just fun to, to get, uh, get talking with you and stuff, and I'm sure we'll bother you again. To, to have you on and, and really probably hone in on one subject and dig in because I know you have on a lot of times you're doing lives you're doing um obviously debates a lot of debates but I see you doing lives all the time getting deep into study with people taking on questions you've dealt with solo scriptura, I mean just a lot of topics that are really really important for believers so I want to encourage you guys very simple if you type in anthony rogers on youtube no d just r-o-g-e-r-s You will find his channel. I would encourage you guys to subscribe and make sure you guys are getting some of his stuff. But I want to thank Anthony for joining us today. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord and God bless you guys.
0: You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202 Simi Valley, California, 93062, or call us toll free at 1 866 JC Truth. That's 1 866 528 7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.